All right, this is Angela. This is Jimmy. And this is Books, Books Are Good, Good actually. actually. And today we're going to be discussing uh, The Bad Popes by E.R. Uh, Chamberlain. And uh, so essentially this book is mainly about seven popes that kind of changed how a lot of, like kind of established how the next the people functions, functions after yeah. that. Um so, first, we're going to start off with the afterword, because it kind of explains a bit more of uh, yeah. what I said. And why this was an afterword, I don't know. This probably should have been at the very beginning, because um, it doesn't really go into, like, a huge detail, but it, it lays out how a, each of these popes sort of shape the the, the papal states and uh, the papacy as a whole. Um, each of the seven popes linked in the present book precipitated a crisis in the affairs of the Roman Church through the interaction of a defective personality and theoretically unlimited power. In the vast context of papal history, there were neither unique nor typical in their crimes, but each, in pursuing the lure of temporal power and pleasures, caused a profound modification in the structure he had inherited, his actions reaching forward to chain his successor to the path that led at last to the European crisis of the Reformation and the Italian tragedy of the sack of Rome of 1527. Yeah, so you probably are getting flashbacks to, um, you know, European history through friggin' middle school and high school of like, yeah, yeah I remember 15-something Reformations, Luther, the Protestant stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was a bunch of fun times there. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of history class, uh, so essentially with Pope stuff, pretty much anything that dealt before uh henry the eighth it just kind of was like yeah there was popes there yep. and then they were doing stuff stuff um i remember charlemagne being a thing and mm. i was like yeah that was the big deal between uh germany and the holy roman emperor empire but charlemagne was prior to the holy roman empire. yeah 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 you're right so it was like i think that was like kind of like this became the holy roman empire i don't it was the the foundations for the idea of a, a united Europe. Yeah. So I remember that was being a big deal. Like that was like, yeah, you need to write a paper about why Charlemagne's a like important thing. Which mm-hmm. was like, okay, I guess. And then um, Henry VIII and just the whole, okay, well, we're now having Church of England. That was a big mm-hmm. deal. And then that, mm-hmm. and then pretty much anything before that was kind of just hand waved away. We mm-hmm. focused on other places. Mm-hmm. Um, or we talked about, oh yeah, so like. The king wanted to uh, need, needed funds for something. They went to the church. The church says to fuck off, and then they kind of went to war with the church for a bit until they got their money, or they lawyered up and got money, and then they got the money, and that mm-hmm. was like pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this book does doesn't go into history of all the popes, right. uh, like we said. It's it's just seven, um, so it, it does jump around a little bit. Um, it's not going, say, like backwards and forwards in time, but it skips chunks of papal history. Yeah, because there's, it seems like, oh, there was like, okay, the new pope came along, like two or three, and nothing really like changed. Everything yeah. kind of went status quo, or yeah. which know. status quo, keep in mind, according to this book, is like in Rome, uh, pretty constant rapes and murders and uh, thievery and yeah. just general a anarchy, a lot of like, riots. A lot of riots. Like, people were just like, uh, like, when they didn't get, like, there was one part where they said, like, they didn't know who the Pope was. They misheard. So they started rioting and, like, about to, like, storm the, like, where they were trying to figure out, like, who was the Pope and steal shit. And it was just insane. Mm-hmm. Just 
everyone was like fucking mad yeah. constantly, which yeah. I understand, but it was just like people just went off on any provocation that they mm-hmm. could. Uh, it was also very common, uh, according to this book, for uh, members of the Pope's family when the Pope was dying to be like, okay, uh, I'm going to take everything I can. Yes. Like, like at, just looting the palace while their family member is dying. Yeah, because like the guards, like there was like, I forgot which one Pope uh, in here who said, like, he managed to get the guards to not, like, to actually, like, hold off people from stealing shit and like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, this guy, like, managed to get enough favor or like enough of a, like, good employer. I feel like it was Julius II who yeah. um, is mentioned because of that, because he provided an, like, so, such a large am- amount of fun for the next Pope who is focused on in this book. Um, but yeah. So we're going to summarize uh, some of the stuff. We had to employ the um, great Wikipedia because there's some shit, like, parts of this book, it feels like you're so trying to read uh, Game of Thrones after, like, the third book and you didn't read the first two. You just had a friend who tell you yeah. about the main characters. And they're like, okay, I think I know who these people are, but I really don't remember yeah. the context of it. And there's a lot of fucking names. So I, for once... Yeah, this is yeah. better than me trying to be like, it's this also, person, I think? a lot of, like, shifting kingdoms of, like, size and worth. So, it, uh, the thing to know about Italy prior to uh, the 1900s is that it was a series of kingdoms that were ever-shrinking and growing as wars between them were fought. Either wars directly between them or proxy wars between... Germany and France, France and Spain, um, Italy and Spain, or parts of Italy and Spain, parts of Italy and France, parts of Italy and Germany. Um, So a lot of these cities are mentioned as being in, like, uh, owned by certain people, but then they're all of a sudden owned by other people who uh, consider them to be conglomerate with these other cities. It's a mess. This book needed, like, Maybe a hundred or so maps, yeah, with dates and being like, so these are the kingdoms at this time, and then ten years later, these are the kingdoms at this time. Yeah, and also because some of the context is also lost on like, why does this pope care about getting their kid on this certain duke thing? And like, mm-hmm. you know, like okay, they're becoming a duke, that's fine. But like, okay, well, why this specific city, right? Or why this specific town? Or why this mm-hmm. specific like territory? And it tries to explain it, yeah, but it's, it's it's not enough. Yeah, and the thing is, like, a lot of these folks didn't have diaries or something to, like, it. a lot of these are, like, third-hand accounts mm-hmm. of, like, people who observe them. So it's not like they, like, ah, oh, yes, they wanted this territory because they had great wheat that they can export to do blah. It pretty much became, I guess, because they lived there, thus they wanted to take over their familial rights or whatever. Yeah. Or they coveted their neighbor's stuff. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? So, all right. So, pretty much the book starts off with, um, essentially, uh, Peter um, was buried there. So, that's, like, kind of where the St. Peter, the Basilica, was built. Mm-hmm. And, unfortunately, as most things in that time, and this is, um, like, 380-ish, um, essentially, they made a bunch of the pillars and other stuff, just kind of fucked up the other part of the tomb that was there, and mm. they just... Like, yeah, it's St. Peter. This is a really important part. He died here, we think. Mm. We buried here. I think they actually un-exhumed his, like, 
very like grave. I was like, yep, that's St. Peter. Put him back. <laughs> yeah, those bones look right. <laughs> yeah, those bones look right. And then like put it back. So um, there were a bunch of like idols there. The emperor finally, I think this was like uh, when uh, Rome kind of converted to Christianity. and mm-hmm. With the donation yeah, from donation. Constantine. Yes. And so... That becomes important later. Yeah. The donation of Constantine is one of those things where someone was, like, apparently made it a joke, and then... Or no. Try to pass it off as a legitimate thing, Mm -hmm. because they were trying to... Because uh, apparently at this time, which I guess shouldn't be surprising, a lot of people just wrote fake shit and -hmm. said, yeah, I came from on high, so we should respect it. Yeah. Which I think was... It's all power grabs. Yeah. Yep. Um, And... So the donation of Constantine prior to that was viewed as a spiritual donation yeah. in the sense of he was like, okay, I am converting the empire to Christianity. Thank you for saving my life, um, Pope. I don't remember your name. Um, but then the forgery was asserting that Constantine had given both spiritual and temporal ownership of the empire to right. the Pope. And that's very... That's where things get really shitty for certain popes, because they're like, oh, well, this says that I can do both things, and I can mm-hmm. become not only pope, but emperor. Or crown emperor. Or crown emperor. And have ownership of all land in the empire, in theory. Right. So that's where it gets kind of, like, wishy-washy. And then they get lawyers involved who have to, like, go and, like, lawyers and scholars. And sometimes to- the lawyers are pope. Yeah. Sometimes lawyers are popes. So... Um, essentially the papal states are created, um, based off the donations of Constantine. And, um, so just a lot of, I said lots of dead dudes in my thing and Charlemagne <laughs> shows up. That um, happens a lot too. Yeah. Lots of dead dudes. Lots of dead dudes. Like a lot of people, it's, so it's funny because a lot of them are just like, well, I'm like, they're banking on some generals to show up and then they just die. And like, well, that was my whole plan was him to show up to defend me. And now I'm fucked. So... Uh, yeah, but so, essentially the first part of the book is just, or like the first chapter, is just kind of like, yeah, there's St. Peter's, there's a nation, uh, Byzantine Empire was kind of kicking around, just doing whatever, uh, and then eventually that shit just crumbles, and now there's a new well, part. I mean, the Byzantine Emperor Empire was around for like another thousand years. Yeah, but it but wasn't. The the influence that it had on uh, Europe was non-existent. Yeah. Um, I also want to, like, point up, like, at the top of this is that, so, uh, popes being from different parts of Italy is a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. Because you need to, like, if you're a Rome, like, uh, it's always funny because, like, the Romans, they were like, you know, okay, I don't care if it's a pope from us. It's whatever. Uh, if you're Florentine, that fucking mattered. If you're a uh, Neo- Neapolitan. And mm-hmm. then once France and uh, Spain kind of got started tussled in, they're like, oh, We'll have our cardinal stuff, but uh, pretty much at the very beginning, there was a lot of, it was a lot more bloodshed. And a lot of fighting between, like, families who were maybe five miles apart, if that. Uh, Another thing that's really interesting about this book is how distant they viewed different cities. Because it's like, and he went home to his city five miles outside of Rome. And it's like, how large of a city is this? Yeah, but then you're traveling on horseback. Or by foot. foot, And it's just like, oh, yeah, it takes like half a day or more (laughs) to get home. So uh, a lot of these families were uh, 
separated by what we would consider minuscule distances. And as far as lineages, minuscule distances there, but they still were at each other's throats pretty yeah. much constantly. And so also during this time is when a bunch of barbarians were coming in. Like this was like kind of, there's a lot of this other nations and other just bands of people who are just like, uh, I claim this area now, so unless you can defend it, it's just mine. Mm-hmm. And so you just have a lot of, like, so there's a bunch of families that show up, like uh, Lombardi, Orsini, uh, I'm trying to think of, that's, those are the two, like, major ones that show up, um, and then eventually Colonna, they show up. Mm-hmm. So these families start vying for, because they're like, oh, okay, maybe I can't get, like, the emperor, like, I can't be, like, a king or emperor, but maybe if I start trying to seeding into being a pope, then I can start gaining power this way, because mm-hmm. we actually have the documents here to say that the pope could temp- could be crown emperor, mm-hmm. and that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the papacy, there was generally, since he had temporal power, it was viewed that certain cities were part of the papal state. Yeah. And so the pope was both... Uh, prince and pope at the same time. Alright, so I guess we can go into the uh, first uh, pope, I guess, or like the first pope plus family plus other fun times. So the first chapter chapter um, is about the family of Theophylact. Um, It focuses first on Morosia, who was a senatrix of Rome, and a senatrix or a senator were essentially the rulers of Rome at this time. It's borrowed from early Roman uh, nomenclature back when Rome was an empire and prior to that a republic. Um, and she essentially ruled uh, as something that's referred to a pornocracy, which is um, based on the allegations that she was uh, sleeping her way to power. Uh, who knows how much of that is true, but that is what was recorded at the time. Uh, she did have a bastard son, two grandsons, two great-grandsons, and one great-great-grandson that were all Pope at various points in time. Uh, she was the daughter of Theophylact, who is the Count of Tusculum, and Theodora. She had a relationship with a couple different people. The one that was Alberic the first, uh, who gave birth to uh, with Alberic, she gave birth to Alberic the second, who became a pope. Uh, she also had a relationship with. Hmm, let's find that. Found it. So she had a relationship with Guy of Tuscany, uh, and with him attacked Rome, arrested Pope John the tenth put him into the Lateran, which was a palace, uh, was the primary palace of the Pope at the time, and uh, jailed him in, oh, my apologies, jailed him in the castle St. Angelo. Um, I don't really have, like, a physical reference for where any of these were at the time, or, like, so just take that at face value. Yeah, and also St. Angelo was very much mentioned throughout this entire book. Yes, They jailed the fuck out of people there. Yes. Um, now there's allegations that Guy smothered him with a pillow, or that he died from neglect or ill treatment. Uh, either way, it resulted in Morosia seizing power in Rome. And then, 
Uh, she was followed by Popes Leo the Sixth and Stephen the Seventh, who were both her puppets. And then uh, she had her own son elected as pontiff under the name John the Eleventh, and John was only 21 at the time. Then Guy dies. It sounds a little funny that way. Yeah, it's just some random guy dies, but no, it's, it's Guy of Tuscany. That guy dies. Uh, Morosia negotiated marriage with the half-brother Hugh of Arles, who had been elected king of Italy. Now, what was Italy at the time? Don't have a reference for that. Uh, but he was king. And so he was already married, but uh, he had the marriage annulled uh, so that Hugh and Morosia could be wed. And then their son, who I mentioned previously, Albert II, uh, led the opposition to uh, the rule of Morosia and Hugh. And after deposing them, Albert imprisoned his mother until her death, which is him. Yeah, instead of just be like, yeah, you, I'm just going to kill you. She's like, you know what, Ma? I'll just put you in prison. <laughs> just just going to, just going to, I'm a very generous and kind person. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to kill you outright. You can just suffer in prison. For whatever. Uh, five years. Five years. Oh, Jesus Till Christ. she died. Oh, boy. Um, and so Alberic was the father of Octavian, who became Pope John the Twelfth, Popes Benedict the Eighth, John the Fourteenth, Benedict the Ninth, and Antipope Benedict the Tenth. By the way, there are antipopes. So okay, so one thing in this book I didn't realize, and I guess I should have looked this up. I don't know what the fuck an antipope is. It's basically a pope that somebody else elected because they believe that the existing pope is not legitimate. Ah, okay. Well, so, that makes more sense yeah. then. Um, so th- I thought I recently watched Sabrina the Teenage Witch on Netflix and they mentioned the anti-popes. I thought, oh, is there just some weird Satanist pope just running around? But that makes no fucking sense in this yep. context. Yep. No. Uh, though there are allegations throughout this book and throughout these Wikipedia pages that uh, some popes uh, were to worship Satan in uh, various ways. And a lot of the records that we have of these popes, uh, one thing to keep in mind, are from their detractors. So, yeah, there's a lot of, like, yeah, there's a lot of, um, like, their criticisms are always interesting because yeah. they are usually Im- embodied in a book or a satirist or something like that. So, mm-hmm. And... That's basically Morosia. Um, and after her, we go into Pope John the Twelfth, who is from her family. Uh, he was born Octa- uh, Octavianus. These names. Um, and he was the son of Alberic II, who we mentioned just a moment ago, who imprisoned his own mother. Uh, he's believed to have been uh, the son of uh, Octavianus and Alberic's stepsister. Uh, but there's also some doubt about this. Uh, lots of conflicting narratives. So he either became Pope at 18 or 25, depending on which narrative you're believing. Yeah, also I think he's like probably the youngest Pope that they've like talked about in here. Yeah, definitely, if not the youngest, like second youngest. Yeah, and like it's kind of a big deal if they're young because they're kind of like, hey... Like, a lot of the other cardinals are like, yeah, they're like, well, shit, he's going to live. And, like, I won't get a chance to be fucking pope after the cardinal is established. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was born in Via Lata, and it was situated between the 
Quirinal Hill and Campus Martius. Uh, all of this is making perfect sense to our listeners. Uh, sometime before his death in 954, Albert II administered an oath, and keep in mind, Albert II was Pope at the time, administered an oath to the Roman nobles in St. Peter's, uh, providing that the next vacancy for the papal chair will be filled by his son, Octavianus. Um, and this happened. They were like, well, shit, Albert II, you're pretty dope leader. Uh, so we're going to make your 18 to 25 year old son also leader. Uh, not a, not a good decision. Not a good 18 to 20 year olds is the, uh, the worst time to be a leader of anything. Let alone uh, supreme in uh, spiritual and temporal power. Yeah, it's pretty much like making the mayor of uh, Ice Town, you know, <laughs> just just <laughs> making mm. a big ice rink and yeah. the that bankrupts your city. Um, but worse. Yeah. Way worse. Yeah. That'll make sense to some people. That makes yeah. Um, so Octavianus, who dies, elected the successor in sixteenth uh, of December, nine fifty five. He took on the name John the Twelfth, um, and was the third example of a pontiff taking a regnal name uh, upon elevation to the papal chair. So previously, only two had changed their name. And uh, in doing so, he ruled with his name as far as being a prince of Rome. So anything that had to do with uh, ruling the city or the papal states, uh, he'd sign off on it as Octavianus. But anything having to do with the spiritual, he referred uh, to his rulings under John the Twelfth. And then... We go to war. So around 960, John personally led an attack against uh, the Lombard duchies of uh, Beneventum and Capua. Where are they? No idea. No idea. And I bet you there's going to be people who are like, yeah, that place is pretty great. (laughs) Just like, yeah. Sure. sure. Um, I was trying to reclaim these for the papal state. um, And upon being confronted by the sight of John marching at the head of an army, the Dukes of Beneventum and Capua appealed to help from Gisulf I of Salerno. That is obviously the correct pronunciation of both of those. Um, who did, in fact, come to their aid, at which point John retreated and entered into negotiations. Um, John found that he was unable to control the powerful Roman nobility, as his father had done. Uh, at around that time, uh, Berenger, Berengar, who knows? Uh, the second, uh, King of Italy, which once again, like, what is Italy? Uh, who knows? Um, began to attack the territories of the Pope, and so John the Twelfth reaches out to Otto the First, who was, in all sense of it, essentially emperor of Central Europe, but not in name yet, and uh, asked that Otto come down and defend him. And in return, uh, John Twelfth would give Otto the... he would name him emperor. And so Otto came down, uh, he kicked uh, Berengar's ass, and uh, essentially uh, put him in prison and uh, reclaimed all of his stuff for the Pope. Um, now, 
The Pope and the Roman nobility swore an oath to the buried remains of St. Peter to be faithful to Otto. But that didn't last. Because Otto was too good at kicking ass. Um, but until... For, while that did last, uh, Otto was the first um, real emperor since Constantine, who had lived 100 years prior. And uh, he... Confirmed the freedom of papal elections, but retained the imperial right to agree to the election before the papal consecration, while at the same time retaining the clauses of the Constitutio Romana, which restricted temporal papal power. Essentially saying, yeah, you can do your Pope stuff, but if needs be, I'm going to show up and I'm going to kick some ass. Yeah, so essentially he got like a guard dog, which mm -hmm. is a big deal to a lot of these other um, like like dukes and other people who are trying to like encroach on the land. This mm -hmm. is like, but I got this guy now. So like, yep. don't fuck with me. Yep. But you don't feed that guard dog. You don't treat it right. Yeah. It's going to come back to bite you. So we then come to the conflict with Otto and the death of John the 12th. Uh, spoilers. The Pope in the year 962 does not live eternal. So Otto left Rome in uh, 962 in order to uh, bring Berengar II to heal. Um, he, before he leaves, is like, hey, John XII, uh, you should be more uh, Pope-like and less vain. Spend less time adultering. A uh, lot of Popes fucking out there. Oh, yeah. So this was actually the most interesting part to me, because I've been like, um, uh, straight up, I'm not Catholic. I have, like, everything that I know about um, monks or cardinals, I'm like, eh. Monks, actually, I know, they just drink a lot, and they possibly fucked. I just assumed everyone just didn't fuck, because that was just a thing. Yeah, all of these popes just It's all propaganda. Fucking. Yeah, well, yeah, there's also that. But it was just like, yeah, they had families. They, especially before- Legitimate le and illegitimate yeah. sons. Um, and daughters. And, yeah, they made sure to kind of have- like these types of families like have a f like fuck ton of children so that they can make sure they can put them in the right place at the right time yep um because so much of this was just power games it wasn't necessarily like leading the church for the spiritual good of the church it was leading the church to put your family into a better foothold in these political fights between yeah. different families and also the fact that they had a lot of people it was Church means if you could deliver, have a make a fuck ton of money. You can sit on a bunch oh, yeah. of money for. Oh yeah, and you know. by sit on you mean spend a bunch. Oh, of money. spend a bunch of money. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Otto leaves to go kick Berengar the Second's ass. Um, he does so, and the Pope becomes anxious about how strong Otto is, and he's like, "Shit, what have I chained myself to?" So he begins to talk with others, uh, one of which being the Byzantine Empire, to form a league against Otto. He also enters negotiations with Adalbert, Adalbert being the son of Berengar II. Um, so, unfortunately, his ambassadors were captured by Otto, and Otto is like, you naughty pope. And uh, he sends a deputation to Rome to figure out what's happening. John sends his own envoys to Otto, including a future pope, Pope Leo VIII, who try to reassure the Emperor Otto that John is just seeking to reform the papal court. Uh, you know, 
963, Otto learned that Adalbert had been allowed to enter Rome for discussions with John, and with Berengar defeated and imprisoned, Otto returned to Rome, besieged it, and then uh, effectively takes control. Uh, at which point John uh, leaves the city, taking papal treasure with him, and he and Adalbert fled to the Tiber. So Otto I uh, summons a council and demands that John show himself and defend himself against a bunch of charges. John responds by threatening to excommunicate everyone involved with this council, and the emperor and the council depose John, who by this time had gone hunting. John is like, okay, I can't have Rome. I can't have my papal power, but I'm going to I'm going to excommunicate y'all and go hunting. He's like, I'm stressed. I need to have an outlet. So, I can't hunting sounds great. Yeah. Um, by the way, don't go hunting when you have like everyone <laughs> shit to do. Yeah, shit to do. Also, a bunch of enemies who are like, yeah, by the way, like I'm probably going to come and kill you now. <laughs> So, um, Pope Leo VIII, who was one of the people who went to court on John's behalf, uh, Otto, prior to Otto besieging Rome and taking the city, is elected. And then a revolt is thrown in support of John by the Romans, uh, but it was put down with a lot of people dying because a well-trained German military will, even at that time, kick a anarchistic Rome's ass. Yeah, I think also, like, kind of throughout this book, it's kind of known, like, yeah, Italy during this time, and by Italy I just mean the states that make up Italy, mm-hmm. usually just get mercenaries from them. That yep. is kind of about it. There is no yep. trained army. You have your private yep. army, if you're rich enough, and yep. that's kind of about it. And then you kind of need to hook up with some other army to do anything. anything. So. Yep. Just the fact that, yeah, it's not really a surprise whenever, like, oh, this army's going to march on Rome. Like, well, I guess Rome's is going to get sacked again because there's no standing military. Most of those fuckers will be like, oh, you guys are sacking us? Cool. Let's, we'll go steal some shit for you guys, too. Like, because you don't, there's like no, there's like, um. And all the cities around Rome are like, hey, uh, what are you trying to, oh, you're, you're going for Rome. Oh, just come on through. Yeah, like they're like, yeah, because they're just like, we'll get fucked. So just, yeah, just we'll give you food, yep. or whatever, yep. and then you can just head on through. How much allegiance do you need? Oh, just uh, we profess an oath. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah we yeah. have we've done six oaths this fucking month. Let's go. Like, come on, like, <laughs> it's no big deal. Yeah. So uh, after Otto leaves. John returns to the city at the head of a company of friends and retainers. Uh, Leo VIII flees to the emperor. Uh, Entering Rome in February 964, John summons a synod to pronounce his deposition as uncanical. He mutilates some enemies, uh, as you do when you're pope. And he was essentially uh, the effective uh, ruler of Rome. Uh, sending Otgar, Bishop of Speyer, these names. These names, I know. Uh, to the emperor, he attempted to gain some accommodation with Otto, but then he died. Um, John died 
whilst enjoying an adulterous sexual encounter outside Rome, according to Ludprand of Cremona, either as a result of apoplexy or at the hands of an outraged husband. So, uh, even as an old man, uh, John the Twelfth doing some cucking. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? There are so many cuckolds in this fucking book. Yeah. It was pretty insane. It's just like, yeah, so like they were involved with like fucking this other guy's wife and, you know, four of those. And it's just like, holy shit. All right. Yeah. And sometimes they're like, yeah, fuck my wife. Uh, will I get power out of it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. Go ahead. Cool. So uh, we now go into John's character and reputation. So John... Uh, he ruled in the two fashions that we mentioned, the secular prince and the spiritual head of the church. Um, it's written about uh, him being coarse and immoral and how life in the Lateran Palace was uh, much like a brothel and that moral corruption in Rome became the subject of general disgrace. Um, his political enemies would use these accusations to blacken his reputation, not only to justify, but to obscure the political dimensions of his deposition. It's alleged that John XII celebrated Mass without taking communion, that as that a deacon had been ordain, ordained in a horse stable. Oof, editing this is going to be fun. Um, that he paid for ordaining, had been paid for ordaining bishops, uh, that he had ordained a 10-year-old bishop in the city of Toddy. Toddy? Toddy? Toddy. T-O-D-I. Yeah. Uh, there were many people who testified to his adultery that they didn't see with their own eyes, but nonetheless knew was a certainty. They fornicated with the widow of Rainier, with Stefana, his father's concubine, with the widow Anna, with his own niece, and he made the sacred palace into a whorehouse. How much of this is true? We don't know. Yeah, because uh, the fortunate part is when you um, ransack a uh places most of the documents just get kind of lost if yep. there were any um yeah yeah um they said he had gone hunting publicly i love the the juxtaposition of these allegations okay so you fucked a bunch of widows and married women and your niece not only that you went hunting in public. Yeah, that was also, I think there was another pope who also went hunting. That was yes. his, like, main thing, like, main thing to, um... I think it's Leo the Tenth. Yeah, Leo the Tenth, And, like, his dad was like, hey, don't, don't go hunt. Like, you need to be pious. You need to, like, uh, watch your weight. You need to make sure that you hang with the right people. Mm-hmm. And then he did that when he was a cardinal, and then fuck, like, he's, like, fucked off with that when he became a pope. Yeah. Because he's like, well, I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm the pope now. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, like, hunting, and everyone's just like, wow, that's very scandalous. scandalous. It's like, don't go hunting. It's like, what? <laughs> Not publicly. Yeah. Don't let anybody see you hunt. Um, that he had blinded his confessor, Benedict, and thereafter Benedict had died. I, once again, love that juxtaposition. Hunting, blinded his confessor. <laughs> that he killed John, a cardinal subdeacon, after castrating him, that he had set fires, girded on a sword, put on a helmet and cuirass, and that he had toasted to the devil with wine. Uh, it was said that he played at dice, and while doing so, he invoked Jupiter, Venus, and other demons. Uh-oh, you can't invoke uh, the other pagan gods. That's bad. Yet. 
yet. Yeah. Wait till the Renaissance. Uh, yeah. Uh, they even said that he did not celebrate matins at the canonical hours, nor did he make the sign of the cross. This guy is pretty much your edgy cousin or something, you know? Yes, but then castrated and blinded dude, uh, two separate dudes, and fucked his niece. Yeah, it's just... uh, Maybe. It's a mess. A mess. Yeah. It's funny because I feel like all this shit that he's done, or uh, allegedly has done, is way worse than what all the other popes have done. It's just like... That was recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, um, one of the popes in the book... Uh, that we get to later, has a bunch of people, like, thrown into a courtyard, and then he just shoots arrows at them. Sure. Like, they all did some fucked up shit. Yeah. Um, uh, Urban and his trip to Genoa and all those cardinals. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, basically, um... He lived a bellicose and perjuring life, which was devoted to hunting, hawking, gaming, and wine, according to some. Uh, he was a robber, a murderer, an incestuous person, unworthy to represent Christ upon the pontifical throne. This abominable priest soiled the chair of St. Peter for nine entire years and deserved to be called the most wicked of popes, according to others. Um, and that's basically John the Twelfth. And after John the Twelfth uh, comes a number, another member of his family, uh, Benedict the Ninth. And so, Pope John the Twelfth was essentially on the same like familial level as. No, he wasn't. <laughs> no, he wasn't. He was uh, two generations prior to Pope Benedict the Ninth. All these popes taken basically the same names makes it pretty hard to pick one out. Yeah, uh, the other in uh, a family tree. But both of these popes were a part of uh, Morosia's line. Uh, John the Twelfth was her grandson, and Benedict the Ninth was her great-great-grandson. He was a uh, son of Alberic III, Count of Tusculum. And... <laughs> Sorry, we just heard a real out... Uh, that was that laugh. Uh, Benedict IX was Pope on three occasions, so he ran away a lot, or abdicated a lot. Uh, he was approximately 20 at his first election. Uh, he's one of the youngest popes, so it's either John the Twelfth at 18 or Benedict IX at 20. Um, depends on whether John the Twelfth was 18 or 25, but... Either way, elected very young, could have lived as Pope for a very long time, didn't, but could have. And so he was the nephew of his immediate predecessor, Pope John the Fourteenth. His father obtained his election through bribery, and uh, due to his reputed dissolute activities, uh, a revolt was provoked um, on the part of the Romans. And he was driven out of Rome. And so this is really, really early into his his papal reign. Like, this is a month into his papal reign, essentially. Um, so he's driven out of Rome, and Pope Sylvester III is elected to succeed him. Uh, but then he comes back a couple months later with supporters and expels Sylvester. He then decides to abdicate 
to his godfather, um, who then becomes Pope Gregory VI. But then he has second thoughts and returned and attempted to depose Gregory. Uh, He then makes um, requests to Henry, king of the Germans, um, to help him in this. And Henry shows up and he summons a council, the Council of Sutri, to decide the matter. Benedict, Sylvester, and Gregory were all deposed, and Henry nominated the Bishop of Bamberg. Um, Henry consecrates and uh, names Pope Clement II, uh, thus clearing the way for Henry to be immediately crowned Holy Roman Empire by a pope legitimized by him. So this is now our second mentioned uh, Holy Roman Emperor. Though there was Otto, Otto II, and Otto III, I think, before Henry. Yeah. So, Benedict was the son of Albrecht III. Uh, Benedict IX was about 20 when made pontiff. Other sources say 10, 11, 12. Um, But we're going to go with 20. Because 11 or 12 is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, he had few quali- qualifications for the papacy other than connections with a socially powerful family. And he was, as far as the church was concerned, at least entirely orthodox. Though uh, his life was incredibly scandalous, uh, quote, it seemed as if a demon from hell in the disguise of a priest occupied the chair of Peter and profaned the sacred mysteries of religion by his insolent courses. Uh, There's allegations that he was primarily homosexual. Um, Pope Victor III, in his third book of dialogues, referred to, quote, his rapes, murders, and other unspeakable acts of violence and sodomy. His life as the Pope was so vile, so foul, so execrable that I shudder to think of it. Execrable. Don't worry, you'll get it. Someday. Um... He was briefly forced out of Rome in 1036, but returned with the help of Emperor Conrad II, who had expelled the bishops of Piacenza and Cremona from their sees, S-E-E-S, sees. Um, and then in 1044, uh, his dissolute lifestyle forced him out of the city again, and we get Pope Sylvester III. Um, then he gets ex- he expels Pope Sylvester, and then he comes to doubt himself and also wants to marry his cousin. So he decides to abdicate. You ever, like, come to doubt yourself and you're also like, hmm, my cousin. That is such a transition um, that makes no fucking sense, but okay. <laughs> you're... Like, I get, like, wanting to just, you know, quit your job and become a goat farmer, but not just be like, yeah, I'm going to quit my job and marry my cousin. That makes no sense. I guess... In 10 whatever, it's okay. I I guess? I I don't know. Um, So he decides to abdicate, and he consulted with his godfather, as we discussed a bit ago, the pious priest John Gratian, about the possibility of resigning. He offered to give up the papacy into the hands of his godfather if he would be reimbursed for the election expenses. With a desire to rid the See of Rome of such an unworthy pontiff, John paid him the money and was recognized as Pope in his stead. Um, St. Peter Damian hailed the change with joy and wrote to the new Pope, urging him to deal with the scandals of the Church of Italy, singling out the wicked bishops of 
Pizarro, uh, Sitia di Castello, and of Fano. Benedict IX regretted his resignation soon after and returned to Rome, taking the city and remaining on the throne until July 1046, although Gregory VI continued to be recognized as the true pope. At this time, Sylvester III also reasserted his claim, and a number of influential clergy and laity implored Emperor Henry III to cross the Alps and restore order, though at the time was not emperor. And as we discussed, uh, he essentially deposed all three of them. Um, Gregory, because his uh, popeship was considered simoniacal, uh, which isn't so much an issue later, as we'll get to. Yep. And um, the other two as being unworthy of the seat and the crown. And so he then names uh, the successor, Pope Clement II. Benedict didn't attend the council, nor did he accept the deposition. While Clement II died in October 1047, Benedict seized the Lateran Palace in November, but was driven away by German troops. To fill the power vacuum, uh, Bishop Popo of Brixen was elected as Pope Damasus II and universally recognized as such. Benedict IX refused to appear on charges of simony in 1049 and was excommunicated. And thus ends the line of Morosia. Whew, that was a... That was a line. It was a line. This is going to be an episode, folks. This is going to be an episode. All right, so for uh, chapter two was uh, Pope Boniface or Boniface. I say Boniface the eighth, um, aka Benedito. Like, so in Wikipedia it says Caetani. In the book, it's Gaetani. Yeah. Also, you're going to listen to me say my really shitty uh, Italian accent. Um, Italiano. Italiano. Uh, so anyway, so the interesting part about this pope is that he's very involved with politics, like just straight up. Um, he essentially went over to as like a uh, like a cardinal for in England. He kind of hung out there quite a bit. He also was over there for like Scotland, um, and so he was well educated. He's been as part of a the papal with the uh, college for a long time. So he was also a lawyer, which mm-hmm. is a really big deal. That that is pretty much one of the main parts of his. Uh, reign so really establishing like the power of the papacy concretely right so he succeeds pope celestine v and the funny part about pope celestine v more like philistine philistine was that he was one of those fuckers who actually is not a fucker he just uh went off into the mountains and was just living his best life and then they're like when they try to elect someone, they're like, yeah, let's just get this guy because he's very of the people. Oh, yeah. And he just was in the mountains. They had to travel to the mountains and then, like, all this other shit. Like, begged all, him to be Pope. Begged and him to like, be Pope. He's like, what are people? Yeah, he's like, okay, I guess. And so they get him back there. And then, um, so he was, like, not into being a Pope. Nope. And It's like, Benedict, give me a cave. Yeah. Let, let me see one person a day. Yeah. And the thing is, like, he was Pope for, like, um, a couple of years, and he essentially just didn't do anything, really. Like, he just, mm-hmm. uh, there was no bulls, there was no, he gave some money away. He kind of just was very lackadaisical about things. He didn't really want to be Pope. It was very obvious, and mm-hmm. Benedito knew this. He kind of was like, okay, that's fine. But um, he did this really shitty thing, which was 
he was so soliciting was like hey i'm gonna abdicate he's like i'm probably going to do it and benedito's like hey i'm a lawyer i can help you out like it's you know we'll make sure you're not getting like fucked over in this however he put a tube into his like quarters and made like you need to leave this is god you need to you need to like leave the 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 chair it's okay (laughs) so um then so like the the major like discussion was like so was Celest- like did Celestine actually wanted to leave on his own merit or did he get influenced to leave by himself that and that's been the big debate uh-huh. and so when he does leave um the big part was uh some of his like allies in a way like there weren't I guess our allies but just like people who kind of were like oh you know he's the real pope followers followers yeah. he's the real pope he's the one who should be like going on ahead and um essentially once benedito gets ascended he's like yo um we need to make sure he doesn't be out and about because if he's out and about then that means that other people will think i'm the not real pope mm-hmm. and that he's the real pope and then yeah. we're just gonna have fucking problems now and as we have a history of multiple popes at the same time as we just went over this is a real threat yeah, so um, I'm kind of skipping like a little bit ahead here, but essentially he teams up with um, Charles the Fifth. Let me look it up. A Charles. A Charles. Um, the other big thing too is that because uh, Celestine was out and about, the other family, the Colonna family, was like, "Hey, he's the real pope. You're not." So oh, he's yeah. like, "This yeah. is a period of the Colonna versus the Orsini." Right? Yeah, pretty much, and yeah. so. Um, uh, Boniface said, "Hey, by the way, I'm going to say his name five different ways this fucking podcast." Um, he's like, "Hey, let's we're going to go with war with you guys." Celestine, he abdicated on his own free will. Like that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had a big battle. He got like support from a Charles, and he said, "When she capture him after Celestine, like he tried to leave. He's like, I need to get out the fuck out of Italy because this is not going to end well for me." Nope. Tries to leave. Um, they eventually capture him. They just put him into a. And by prison. tries to leave, you mean he like got wandered from like mountain to mountain. Yeah, mountain he? to mountain, and then got on a boat. And then the boat got like they're like bad weather. They yeah. had to go back to the port. It was like this really that, silly. That shit. was your mistake. Yeah. Stay in the mountains. Stay you in the know mountains. mountains. And then they captured him, and it was funny because in the boat they're like, yeah, they did him a favor because he just wanted to be in an enclosed space. And that yeah. was so. Yeah. He dies 10 months later. Celestine dies 10 months later. And people like, were like, oh, there's a conspiracy. He must have gotten poisoned because during this time was when um, Machiavelli kind of was, no, nah, Machiavelli was like 300 years later. But like a big part was like, yeah, Italians like to get revenge and use poison as a thing. And mm-hmm. it's just like, no, he just probably died of natural causes because he was like 60. Um, and stressed. And stressed the fuck out. So... Um, the major part with, uh, Boniface, I'm going to just call him Boniface, whatever, is he pulled out a fuck ton of bulls. He was like, hey, by the way, I'm going to be temporal power and spiritual power. Like, this is the thing. It's, we have this as a donation. It's here. I'm all for it. So what does that mean? That means that a lot of fucking kings were kind of pissed off at him at certain points in time. Mm. Um, specifically, uh, King Philip of France. King Philip was like, hey, I need money for my wars. I need to start taxing people. 
By taxi people, he means the really poor people who can't afford any fucking taxes. As you do. As you do. Also, the nobles, they're fine. Don't ask them. Yeah. Yeah, no. So he's like, you know who has money? The church has money. So he starts taxing the monks and the uh, clerics. And the clerics were like, what the fuck? Then they went to the pope. And the pope's like, yeah, I'm not about that. Like, you should ask me to tax. Like, you should ask me before you start taxing my uh, subjects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so eventually the um, eventually he kind of just uh, said, hey, uh, you can't tax them. And then the king was like, hey, by the way, uh, I'm going to put a law. I got some lawyers. You s- they're pretty much like, you can't export gold or anything from France. And you, and you have to live here if you want to get gold from us. You, like, you can't live here if you're a foreigner. So he's like, so then at that point, like, he lost. So he's like, okay, fine. Like, they kind of solve their differences there. Um, mm. But kings don't fucking forget if you didn't give them fucking money for war. Um, also during this reign, uh, Boniface puts more cardinals in there. And the reason why this is a big fucking deal is because if you have cardinals who are on your side, that makes it a lot easier for you to kind of put in your own pope to kind of lead on next time followers yeah Yeah. so um there's a bunch of excommunications and other shit and the king of france was philip the fourth who yeah was just trying to expand his power as one wants to do um so have you ever met a king who didn't right have you ever met a king no me neither yeah so listeners if you've met a king let us know um, so Boniface was the first one to do a jubilee. Uh, essentially, it's a bunch of uh, pilgrims come into the city. Uh, that means they got a fuck ton of money. He was going to tax the pilgrims, but Which said is to not to. Kind of interesting because the understanding of a jubilee that I have, like a biblical jubilee, mm-hmm. is debt relief. Like some of the earliest jubilees were the forgiving of debt, and now the jubilees have become like. It doesn't mention anything about debts in this. It's just like, yeah, he threw a jubilee and he made a couple hundred thousand ducats. Yep. Which also, what is a ducat? I don't know. I just Uh, assume a gold coin or whatever. You know, I know there's silvers and whatever. Uh, But yeah, so essentially has a jubilee. A bunch of fucking people came. It was a really great success because they also had a really good harvest like the year before. So like things were looking good. You know, Pope, Pope looking good. Everybody's happy. Right. Um, then the first Scottish War of Independence happened, and essentially... And they won, and and it was over. (laughs) JK. Uh Um, so what happened, so since, um, the Pope had been to England, he kind of knows some things, he had, he knew some of the cardinals there. Um, essentially, the Scottish king got deposed, and he's like, called on the church, like, hey, you should come and fucking help me! And he essentially... Was like, uh, uh, yeah, okay, sure. But everyone just kind of, um, ignored his letter, essentially. Yeah. See, the thing is, is that... A letter is not an army? Yeah. So, they're like, yeah, they, um, they pretty much were like, yeah, you guys should negotiate. And then the letter was never sent, or probably just fucking lost. Because, um, Italy, or wherever part of Italy, to Scotland is, uh... At that time? Yeah. On donkey back? Yeah. So then, after all that... Uh, Philip of France was like, you know what? Fuck the Pope. So he continued his quarrel with the fucking Pope, which leads to eventually his demise. Mm. So Wait, Philip's or the Pope's? Uh, 
the popes. Mm. Yeah. So, um, essentially, uh, more bulls came out. He just was like, hey, can you please, like, do the right thing? He's like, no, I want to do my army shit, and you're not helping me, you asshole. So, um... Because Boniface was like, you're under my power, because, like, I'm the spiritual guy, and you're just the king. Like, it's, like, I'm the one who talks about, like, who communes with God, and you need to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's eventually, Philip was like, this guy needs to shut the fuck up. So, he sent his, like, embassy, like, his uh, ambassador and another part of his army to the Pope's house. And kidnaps him, and then beats the shit out of him. And then eventually just throw him to jail. So... Um, oh, right, also before this, because, uh, you know what? They like to give excommunications out like candy, and it doesn't fucking matter sometimes or whatever. Well, so at the time, someone who was excommunicated could be freely crimed against. So ah. you could steal their stuff, you could kill them, you could imprison them, you could torture them. Didn't matter, didn't hurt your soul. Right, I forgot. So, okay, so that's the thing that, um, I guess most Catholics or ex-Catholics have a problem with is where you can kind of just do a bunch of bad shit, then go to confession or do whatever, and mm. then kind of be absolved of it, and then uh, just you are a good person, which yep. can be very uh, controversial. Um, but yeah, so, um, well, okay, so the thing with being excommunicated as a king, that's kind of a, I mean, you're still the king, yeah. and you still have your army yep. that you pay. Money goes way more farther than being like, yeah, you're excommunicated. I don't know. It just seems kind of... I, I think what it does is it gives, like, a little bit of a avenue for people who are maybe upset with the king or upset with the current power structure to be like, well, I didn't want to do anything about it before because that would make me a sinner, but now I can try assassinating the king. Yeah. Um... One thing I forgot to mention, because I got wrapped up into the his feud with the king. So, the whole thing with Kelowna, they captured a couple of their cities, and so a lot of those people actually surrendered and said, and he's like, yeah, you know, we're the uh, Boniface is like, yeah, we're, take your uh, agreements, no big deal. And then he just like, hey, can you just go insult the fucking city and just ransack it? Even after. As you do. As you do. So, part of the reason why he's in this book. So, he dies of a fever, um, because I beat the shit out of him, and of course it's like, uh, the 1200s, so no medical care. Yep. Who gives a shit? Yep. So he dies. And then the best part about this is that they put him on trial after he died. Yeah. <laughs> so they, um, you know, put him in front of a bunch of shit. Uh, they eventually, like, some of the, like, some other consul was like, hey, King Philip, uh, you know, hey, we're sorry, you know, um, our bad, you know, it's no big, like, you know, this guy, he's an asshole to you. I hope you forgive us. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah, you know, it's no big deal. Um, so they eventually put him on trial and then they dismissed the trial. This happens, like, 10 to 20 years later after he died and they exhumed his body like all this other shit you ever <laughs> yell at a, a skeleton corpse yeah. in court yeah and the weird part is like this is not the first time i've heard about um they exhumed a body and then they just put him on court this is a thing that has gone on for quite a while um so in terms of like uh he shows up dante was a big 
criticizer of him. Like, he yeah. put him in, like, Divine Comedy. He's referenced in there. As, More than any other religious figure. Yeah. He did not care for him. Um, he's also kind of, as uh, most folks, he was a big patron. And he, uh, you know, had a bunch of churches restored uh, for the Great Jubilee, which is actually pretty, uh, probably not bad to preserve history in that terms of way. A lot of these popes are, it's interesting, a lot of them had, like, um, funded a bunch of artists, as mm-hmm. uh, we'll see as we go through. Mm-hmm. So that was a very, like, shortened version of Boniface, because he had a bunch of bulls that made no fucking, like, he's like, yeah, we're doing this now, and it's like, okay, I guess okay. he did it, and then, yeah. This, yeah. this had context at the time. Yep. So then we go into Urban the Sixth, who uh, was born in 1318 and died 1389. Um, he grew up in uh, Naples, and he grew up in the streets of Naples. So he didn't come from like a particularly rich family like the majority of these popes. Um, he worked his way up in the clergy and was known for having a really... Uh, good head for business and for being very simple and frugal as a vice chancellor. He also demonstrated a penchant for learning. Uh, but as I mentioned, he was, uh, as it's stated, without familia. Uh, so he didn't really have a whole lot of avenues for nepotism when he was in power. Though he did try to instate a number of his nephews in various places to uh, poor results. So on the death of Pope Gregory the Eleventh, a Roman mob surrounded the papal conclave to demand a Roman pope, but there wasn't really a good option for a Roman pope. There were a bunch of Roman cardinals, sure, but all of the various families were pretty much equally balanced in their ability to be like opposed to each other for any particular Roman pope of those families. And so the choice was made for... Um, Bartolomeo Prignano. Um, Italians. Italians. Names. Um, And Prignano became Urban VI, uh, and he was chosen because he was seen as a safe bet for the time being until an obvious victor between the war and the Italian families uh, could be determined. And so... He was coronated, and everyone was like, yeah, you're Pope. But when he was coordinate, coordinated, uh, he pretty much immediately went on a rampage of, like, uh, accusing all of the cardinals of being um, lecherous and uh, unsanctimonious and of simony. And as someone who the majority of the church money funneled through, uh, he knew very well what their accounts looked like and what was going on. So uh, he certainly was not without grounds for doing so, but they were very pissed off at this. And so <clears throat> as a result of this, the French cardinals met at uh, Anagni and um, invited Urban to join them. But uh, as this uh, Agnagni uh, Anagni? I don't know. French place, um, in France, uh, Urban was like, mm, I'm not gonna go. And to keep in context, uh, the period prior to this was a period of 
French popes, French pope after French pope after French pope, because the papacy at that time was centered in Avignon. Um, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Another thing is, is that, yeah, the French, like the papacy moved around a lot. Like there was no, yeah. um, like, as of t- like, con- like today, oh, it's the Vatican, right? Like that was the yep. thing. No, they, it moved around a lot and it was a big deal. If you yep. are like, oh, I'm in Spain. They're here, you yep. know? And frequently cardinals would refuse to come. And so the Pope would be like, well, I'm going to name some new cardinals. Who's nearby? Yeah. So, yeah, that was a big deal. If people just didn't show up, you were like, okay, cool. Like, later, like, you're out. Yep. Fuck you guys. Yep. So, realizing that he was going to be seized and perhaps slain, he didn't go. Um, So, at that point, they named another Pope, uh, Pope Clement the seventh and this started the beginnings of the first uh schism 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 um and this was a a period of 39 years from uh 1378 to 1417 urban was declared excommunicated by the french anti-pope and was called the antichrist while catherine of siena defended pope urban um, Catherine of Siena was talked about uh, very uh, nicely at various points in this book as someone who was both known for her um, religious fervor and her morality, as well as her ability to really put pen to paper in a moving way. Um, and so we get into Pope Wars again. And so uh, 20 new six, 26 new cardinals were created in a single day. Um, arbitrary alienation of the estates and property of the church uh, went about. Funds were raised for open war. Uh, Clement went to Avignon in May of 1379, where uh, he was at the mercy of the King of France. Um, and the King of France, Louis I, Duke of Anjou, uh, granted a phantom kingdom of Adria to be carved out of the papal Amelia and Romagna if he could unseat the Pope at Rome. So, while that was going on, the War of the Eight Saints, oof, sorry, the War of the Eight Saints uh, began with a spate of unprecedented cruelty to civilians, um, and this seemed to be uh, essentially like an inter-city war between various uh, Italian cities. Um, and listeners, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I, I tried clicking this link on this piece of paper from Wikipedia that I printed out, but it's just not taking me anywhere. Um, so uh, this this war resulted in uh, 200,000 florins being extorted from Urban um, for the restitution of church properties. Uh, and in return... Um, Urban uh, provided papal favor and the lifting of a disregarded interdict. So while that war was going on, uh, Urban's patroness of the city that he knew as home, Naples, Queen Joan I, deserted him in the summer of 1378, in part because her former archbishop had become her feudal suzerain. What is a suzerain? I don't know. Listeners, feel free to tell us on our non-existent Twitter. Uh, Urban now lost sight of the larger issues and began a comment to commit a series of errors. Uh, he turned upon his powerful neighbor, Joan, excommunicated her, and essentially began a war against her. 
which was foolish and short-sighted, especially since, like, there are other wars going on. But, uh, so, over the kingdom of Naples, Urban crowned a new king, um, Charles of Durazzo. And Charles was actually a relative of Jones, and this was sort of like a contested um, city as far as that family was concerned. So he was like, hey, Charles, you want to kill your cousin? And Charles was like, yes. So either you can marry your cousin or, or want to kill them. Yes. This is this time period. Yes. So Charles murdered her in 1382. In return for these favors, Charles had to promise to hand over a bunch of cities to the Pope's nephew, uh, one of his four nephews, uh, because Urban was like, hmm, I want to make a dukedom for somebody in my family, because that's what popes do, but I have no children. Um, also, the thing to note with uh, Urban is, like, he didn't, he was kind of a vicious dude, but, like, not vicious for no reason. Like, he didn't... He didn't torture or kill people just because it was fun. He tortured and killed people because he was really pissed off at them in particular. So, um, once ensconced in Naples, Charles was like, I don't really want to support this pope. I don't really want to give this punk-ass kid a dukedom. Also, his kingdom was invaded by Louis I of Anjou and Amadeus the Sixth of Savoy. So uh, in between those two pressures of not wanting to uh, give up what he's now earned and having enemies on his flank, he's like, mm, fuck you, Urban. So uh, in Rome, Urban's uh, Castel St. Angelo was besieged and taken and Urban was forced to flee. Uh, he then went to Naples and tried to press Charles in person to do what Charles had promised to do. To which Charles was still like, fuck you. Um, he found himself uh, essentially a prisoner uh, while in Charles's presence. After a reconciliation with the death of Louis, uh, Charles found himself freer to resist Urban's feudal pretensions, and Urban was then shut up in Nocera, which was a city a couple miles away from Naples. And so Charles essentially surrounded Nocera and put it to siege and urban would open the windows and with bell book and candle yell at them and just be like fuck you i'm the pope uh, papal bull against all of you you're all excommunicated ah. um so after a couple months of this all the cardinals are super restless and urban himself is like i'm not getting anywhere here so he managed to get out, which, uh, given that the city was besieged, was a little odd. Um, it may be the case that Charles just wanted him gone, so he didn't have to deal with that anymore. And so Urban and his crew of cardinals, which, by the way, all the cardinals came with him to Naples and then to Nocera, um, came along with him. And at this point, some of the cardinals were kind of pissed and tried to make a stand against him. And so Urban had them seized, tortured, and put to death. Uh, one of which, if I'm remembering correctly from the book, uh, just like during during the torturing, they're, they're still on the road because 
they had gotten essentially a letter or, or some sort of notification from some friends in Genoa that ships were going to be on the coast to take them to Genoa. And so they're, they're all on their donkeys going to the western coast of Italy because that was closer. Um, and one of the cardinals that he had been torturing was like too weak to stay on his donkey. And so he had him killed then and there and just left on the side of the road. And then spoilers, the part of the coast that they arrived at was controlled by their opposition. So none of the Genoan ships could land there to let them on. So they then had to turn around and ride to the other coast. So at this point, um, he is essentially uh, depowered in all ways because he's been shown to be ineffective in ruling his cardinals. He's been shown to be ineffective in ruling the papal states. He's been shown to be ineffective in getting external states to really side with him in one way or the other. And so what does he do? Uh, he decides to die. Um, so he moved to Perugia with a couple thousand troops, and he proclaims a jubilee to raise some funds. Um, once again, as we stated earlier, kind of against the point of the jubilee, but what can you do? What can you do? Time machine. Kill all the popes. <laughs> so anyway... Um, at the time of the proclamation, it had only been 38 years since the last Jubilee under Clement VI. Um, and during the march to Perugia with these troops, Urban fell from his mule and had to recover in early October in Rome, where he was able to oust the communal rule of the Banderesi, whatever that is, and restore papal authority. So by that, I, I assume there was some sort of like communal rule by um, Roman families, what have you. And he died soon afterward, uh, so most likely due to his fall. And it was during the reconstruction of St. Peter's Basilica that his remains were almost dumped out of their sarcophagus, and their sarcophagus turned into a watering trough for horses until someone was like, um, uh, that's a pope. Good shit. Good shit. And thus goes Monsieur Prignano. All right, so next up is motherfucking Pope Alexander VI, Whoop. a.k.a. Rodrigo de Borgia. Whoop. Which some people may know from either the Showtime series Borgia, Borgias. or from apparently from Assassin's Creed. Mm. Showed up as a uh, uh, let me hold up, let me look this up as a main antagonist of Assassin's Creed Two because he was secretly the Grandmaster of the Knights Templar. Um, also depicted as an atheist, which is what. And then so the uh, Ezio was trying to kill Alexander the Sixth before studying the papacy, but let him go, knowing that killing him would not bring his father and brothers back. So spoilers, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, for more, see our Assassin's Creed podcast. Assassin's Creed is good, actually. No. Um, <laughs> and then, apparently, he shows up again in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Um, see our Assassin's Creed podcast. Yeah. And he apparently has a smaller role, but the uh, his son, Cesare? Cesare? Cesare. Cesare? Okay. Um, yeah, so his son shows up and some other shit, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so the whole point is... 
this motherfucker has definitely caught a lot of the attention of um, the popular popular culture. Um, And I I can see why, because this guy, he fucked. Like... He he did it all. He did it all. He did the whole uh, nepotism. He did the whole, like, um, I'm going to place my kids in a bunch of different areas and also annul a bunch of marriages and mm-hmm. then place them elsewhere. A bunch of his kids died because of, uh, well, not a bunch, like one, got assassinated because it probably was just actually just a lover's quarrel. Mm-hmm. whole point is, is that this guy... Oh, yeah. That's the one where the body was dumped in the water? Yeah. And they oh, asked yeah. the um, fisherman, and he was just like, yeah. a lot of bodies get dumped in the water. <laughs> I don't know. Why, why is this one special? Yeah. So, anyway, he ruled for like 11 years. But, um, so he was part of a, uh, the big part is he was a Spanish pope. Um, he actually changed his name from his father's name to uh, Borgia once his uh, uncle actually descended, uh, ascended as a pope. Mm. So he kind of, you know, wanted to use a lot of his, um, the cachet, the, you know, the cachet of his name. Um, it's pretty much is, uh, this also was during the Renaissance. Um, so there was Machiavelli, there was, you know, Michelangelo. He actually funded a bunch of that shit. Raphael. Raphael. So he like continued on. Donatello. Donatello. Shredder. Yeah, Shredder. He's my favorite <laughs> artist. Um, he had a bunch of mistresses. He had the one wife, and the funny part about it is that he just was like, he had the couple kids from her, and it was just like, yeah, I'm done. And she's like, well, okay. Like, he still doted on the kids, mm-hmm. and he's like, you can kind of do whatever. Like, I really don't care. Just, yep. you know, make sure that you take Keep care of the kids. Keep my family in, in yeah. order. So, um, yeah, so he was born into a prominent um, Spanish family, um, and it's a town near Valencia, and... He, uh, one of his uncles was a uh, pope. Um, also, a couple of his um, relatives were also cardinals. So, pretty well connected in terms of the um, papacy. And the big part of his thing is that, essentially, he kind of got placed into a position because of his family to be, like, a, a, um, a vice chancellor. So, he um, pretty much got, like... As, like, his other family members kind of got in, he kind of got in, too, because the Pope was like, someone could come and kill me at any time or try to take my power. And since a lot of these other cardinals are also backed by other families or by other um, interests, like, there weren't that many, like, people, like, cardinals that came up through the, um, like, through the church. Mm-hmm. Like, it was all based on who has money. Mm-hmm. Um, another big thing about... Um, Borgia is that he's very handsome. Like, even as an older guy, everyone was, like, charmed by him. Um, just straight up. So, um, pretty much, uh, when he, when Borgia eventually gets, uh, left to Pope, and he did this pretty much by just using a lot of money. He's just like, he pretty much went to the front runner and was like, hey, just give me it. I'll give you, like, four mules of silver. And he's like, alright, like, I'm an older guy, I don't really care about this. I, if you give me a bunch of money to live my last life, Mm-hmm. So, um, pretty much once he gets in there, he just immediately starts being like, son, you're now the archbishop. You know how old his son was? 18. So yeah. people were like, what the fuck <laughs> is that all about? Um, he's definitely, uh, moved his daughter around, Lucrezia. Oh, yeah. Uh, she, at the time, was married to, um, Sephorza. And that guy was a big player. And then... 
he kind of became kind of like out of like just out of favor. So he's just like, uh, you can marry someone else, and I'll get to that in a minute. So um, he really did it on his son, uh, Cesare, like a lot. Like he pretty much had him become archbishop, and then he pretty much makes him uh, a duke of Gianni or Gandia. Sorry. And, and that then, was in Spain, right? Yeah, that was part of Spain. That was like, they said there was an ancestral home of his, uh, you know, of the Borgia. So it was like, I guess to them, there was like, oh, okay, it's your home, you know, whatever. Sure. Um, and then kind of started trying to encroach on other territories because he was trying to set up his sons to kind of start being dukes and then try to become like kings if they start kind of getting enough territories. And a lot of families mm-hmm. were like... Um, just because you're the Pope doesn't mean you can, like, come in here. Ah, but, but thanks to Boniface and the Papal Bulls recognizing uh, the forgeries that was the donation of Constantine, he can. Yeah. So, essentially, he made a lot of alliances through all this, too. Uh, he got help from um, the King of France, which was Charles the Eighth, uh, and um, who allied with Savorza from the one from uh, I mentioned earlier. Um, he also got allies from uh, Spain and actually not Spain. Sorry, I may have went ahead. Whatever. So, um, Promester Minid, uh, like, uh, was Forza. He's like, yeah, you married my daughter. That's cool. And it was like some other granddaughter of like Ferdinand the First, who was a uh, king of Spain. Mm. Um, so, and then he also created 12 new cardinals, and one of his cardinal, one of his uh, cardinals was his own son. So that was neat. He just making a bunch of these changes. Um, so also during this time, uh, there was like kind of a conflict between uh, the Turks, like the Ottomans, and mm. um, Sephorza. So at the time, uh, they had the sultan's son. As they just captured him, you know, it seems like the Sultan's son just wanted to get the fuck away. Yeah, like he was like he, on vacation was, or some shit. And nah, he, so his dad wanted him dead because he was uh, opposed to his power. So he was like, "As long as you hold my son and don't let him come back, I will pay you money." Yeah. Okay. So essentially, um, at that point, uh, Charles was like, uh, France was like hey, like, what's going on here? Why do you have a son? That seems really kind of interesting. So the Pope was like, ah, shit, he might come. If Charles comes here, he might boot me out for simony. So um, he pretty much was trying, he won over uh, Charles's like, archbishop, like, his own bishop. Um, and then, with, <laughs> as they said in the Wikipedia, with the hat. You know, I think they meant, like, he, he was going to, like, if he... Like, just tell him, hey, I can make you a cardinal. Then, you know, can you do this for me? So, essentially, he got his own son, Alexander's own son, to um, kind of get um, the sultan's son and hold him hostage uh, and to give it to Charles. Like, mm. transfer him to Charles. So, um, things kind of got a little hairy, and eventually Ferdinand had to fucking, like, dip out. And, you know, everyone conquered... Uh, uh, Naples. Naples was a very... <laughs> Everyone conquered yeah. Naples. Yeah, not to, Naples just get fucked over. Yeah. Debbie does Dallas. Everyone conquers yeah. Naples. So, King King Eighth or Charles the Eighth, Jesus Christ, Charles the Eighth uh, decides to crown himself king of Naples, like, after 
um, the, he conquers it and then kind yeah. of retreats back north because he's yeah. like, oh, I got other shit I need to go do. Yep. Um, As you do. Yeah. So uh, apparently a league was uh, created, which I didn't realize that was a thing. We mentioned it earlier. But a new league was created, um, which had the Pope, the Emperor, Venice, uh, a bunch of other people, Ferdinand, and they're all formed against the Turks. But it was pretty much so that the French could get the fuck out of Italy. Mm. So um, Charles was not happy about that and just kind of, you know, was like, all right, fine. Um, So then uh, this is the big deal was that uh, at the Borgia household, like, well, bunch of this shit was going on, a um, bunch of conflicts and stuff. I'm just like, yada, yada, yada. Some of this. Oh, yeah. It, um, these these later chapters are thick and complex. Yeah. So his son, uh, Duke of Grandia, Gandia, this is the different son, not Cesare. He was, he disappeared, and then they found his and, corpse in the Tiber. And this is a different son because he made Cesare a cardinal. Yeah. Right. And he... Because of where he was cardinal of, he couldn't also be duke. Right. Um, so there's actually a lot of uh, rumors about actually what happened to this, his son. Um, one was, did Cesare do it out of, you know, trying to get power? But it makes no sense in terms of, if he's already a cardinal, he doesn't really need to try to, like, he can't be a duke, yeah. as you said. So yeah. there's really no point. The other thought is that uh, these, this family just fucks. So it's probably a lover's quarrel, just based on, um, as, I just think it's really funny, um, as forensics, not science, but forensic, um, well, forensic files, forensic files, but they're like, yeah, this motherfucker got stabbed a lot. So it must've been someone who was like really, really pissed off at them. So it Mm. must be because of a liaison. Mm -hmm. Um, there was also another crime that happened into which a cardinal was poisoned, um, by Cesare, but like, there was no, there was no like proof really. They're like, the thing is like at this time, people were like, yeah, getting poisoned, that is like how we do it here. Yeah, you know, that's, no, no. and it's just like, no, that's not what happened. Um, so shit goes on. Um, there was the whole thing with Seminara. Um, it turned into kind of a big political, like a more personal deal as like things went on. Uh, Lucrezia's marriage to Giovanni Cesarza. Um, pretty much what happened is they're like, yeah, we're going to annul this because you guys didn't have kids. And she was like, yep, totally didn't have kids. So, like, let's get out of here. And Sephora's actually tried to, like, beg to, like, stay together. And mm-hmm. then he just, he, like, couldn't counter the claims or anything like that. And then he tried to be like, well, Alexander, like, the Pope and his daughter, they're, like, uh, and his son, they all want to fuck this like his kid and it's just like what are you guys talking about i mean maybe maybe i don't know Shib was fucking wild back then. yeah so um essentially she got married to like a descendant of uh was the 12th essentially yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and this is also grounds for something that is gonna come later the the annulment yeah um yeah from clement the eighth yeah seventh Mm -hmm. whatever seventh eighth all good. Ninth. Ninth. Um, Clement the tenth. Yeah. So uh, in the 1500, there was another jubilee. Uh, this ushered the custom of opening a holy door on Christmas Eve and closing on Christmas Day. I've never seen that shit, so I have no clue what that is. Apparently, um, he just created a rite, and that's now been a thing that happens on Christmas. <sighs> Who the fuck knows? Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been in Rome on Christmas. Yeah. Um, so 
there's a talk about in the Wikipedia article about like slavery. Uh, there's like a couple bulls that kind of happened um, after uh, Christopher Columbus, and the thought has been, oh, the bull actually means for slavery, but it could have been actually about converting to Christianity. Mm before they killed the they eventually killed them because they couldn't understand the fucking language mm-hmm. um and that's the interesting thing here is that um this particular pope is at the crux of like two like points in history um both the fall of the Byzantine empire right and Christopher Columbus making his way to uh the Americas occurs around this time within like a 50 year period which is kind of weird to think yeah, about. Exactly, because it's just like, they pretty much are like, oh shit, there's like this new, like this whole new world, and then oh shit, this old guard folks are dying. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so yeah, uh, pretty much like his later years, um, he, you know, tried to maneuver himself in. Uh, people are obviously going to be pissed off at him by doing this because he's trying to play both sides. Like he mm-hmm. trained, He's trying to play um, trying to get the most advantage position for himself and his family. That that is his whole point of being pope. So, as as for most popes, yeah. So, um, towards the end, uh, he and his son were having dinner, and like with some other folks, and all of a sudden they became kind of stricken with this uh, fever, mm. and uh, Cesare kind of recovers, um, but soon enough, um. They um, soon enough, Alexander uh, actually gets a fever that just keeps uh, like is permanent, and then he does his rites and then dies. Uh, the rumor is Cesare actually kills him because you know he recovers from the same poison, potentially the same poison. Um, Chances are they just both got a fucked up flu. Yeah. Um, also, there's also there's like considerations about the. Uh, decomposition of Alexander, like they, <laughs> I think he was the one who uh, they like he looked so stuff, stuff him yeah. into the coffin, so they like, roll it up and then like close it, like and then like a bunch of like porters just like punching his corpse into this coffin, yeah, like in he was a just rug. so like he was like so swelled up, like and they're mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is this? And yeah, and everyone was like, uh, he's just uh, just don't worry about it. <laughs> so, um. They believe that some suggest that uh, he was accidentally poisoned to death by his son. Um, Instead of, you know, yeah. just to illness for funds. Yeah. Um, some attribute his death to malaria, which was prevalent in Rome at the time, or to some other such, uh, you know, disease. So, you know, I guess it guess in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter who killed him or like how he died, right? Because it didn't really contest anything into the like Roman Pope. Like, um, essentially, after he died, Cesare kind of eventually just, um, like, loses all of his shit. Like, yep. loses, like he just gets kind of thrown out, essentially. Yep. So I think this is the instance where he just, like, loots the shit out of uh, the papacy. Yeah. 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 Okay. So he, like, eventually the Borgia family that y- you would think he spent all this time trying to build up pretty much crumbles within like 10 to 15 years after his death yep like it it just shatters nothing is permanent um so the funny part is is that uh machiavelli actually wrote a book based on him and then um the funny part has been that 
uh, Alexander took none of his advice that was in the book at the time. So mm-hmm. it was, I, I don't know if Immaculate was a, just a dumb motherfucker and just didn't consider, hmm, maybe the Pope isn't so smart. Mm. But Or maybe the Pope is full of himself. Yeah. And that brings us to Pope Leo X, who was born uh, in 1475 and died in 1521. Uh, so not even 50 years old. Sucks to suck. So uh, he was born Giovanni di Lorenzo de Medici and uh, ruled as Pope from 1513 until 1521. So not even his eight years. It was really short. Yeah. So he was born into the Medici family. Uh, he was the second son of Lorenzo de Medici. And uh, he was known for being uh, very ostentatious with his rule. He gave out benefices and gifts uh, left and right. And uh, it really helped that uh, his prior pope, uh, which uh, was Julius II, was really frugal because he amassed quite a lot of money. So in his early life, uh, he was the second son of Lorenzo the Magnificent, who was the head of the Florentine Republic. So the Medicis ruled Florence. He received tonsure at the age of seven and was soon granted rich benefices and preferments. I've no idea what a preferment is, but uh, it's probably before fermenting. I, I guess maybe I almost feel like I guess it sounds to be like a title, but not really a title. Yeah, um, who knows? Who knows? Uh, certainly not me, because once Wikipedia again, Wikipedia probably knows. Can't click on these links. <laughs> um, so his father prevailed on his relative Innocent VIII, who must have been in the Medici family, to name him. Cardinal Deacon of Santa Maria. Uh, He was only 13 at the time, so he was not allowed to wear the insignia or share the deliberations, share in the deliberations of the college until three years later. He received a humanistic education. So this was, uh, as we mentioned earlier, during the Renaissance. So people are really into book learning, learning about ancient cultures, reading in Greek and Latin as much as possibly could. And so, in 1492, at the age of 16 to 17, he was formally admitted into the Sacred College of Cardinals and took up residence in Rome and received a letter of advice from his father. It was pretty good advice. Um, The book did include the letter. I do not have it uh, on hand because we did not plan out that far. Uh, That's okay. But uh, he didn't really... While cardinal, he definitely took this advice. While pope, he did not. Yeah, essentially his dad was like, um, stay in school, don't do drugs, stay away from the bad kids. Save your money. Save your money. Because um, he was just like, uh, your, the company that you keep is going to be a reflection of you. And uh, do your exercise. Yep, yep. Eat well. Yep, yep. Uh, so, good stuff. Yeah, all, good stuff. All, like, all around. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, here's our letter. To our listeners, uh, stay home, uh, eat out of a crock pot, um, save your money, uh, overthrow your boss, and... Work out. Work out. Throw stones. Throw stones, yeah. Heavy, heavy stones. Yeah, you, gotta, you gotta build up your stones. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. You, everyone starts yeah. from somewhere. S- start with light stones. Work to heavy stones. So, uh, the death of Lorenzo 
on the following 8th of April, however, so this is probably still 1492, um, recalled the 16-year-old Giovanni to Florence, so he was 16 at the time. He returned to Rome to participate in the conclave of 1492 and unsuccessfully opposed the election of Cardinal Borgia, elected as Pope Alexander VI. So, another Borgia. Yep. Um, so he lived with his brother in Florence through the agitation of Savonarola. <laughs> Savonarola. Savonarola. And the invasion of Charles VIII of France. Uh, until the uprising of the Florentines and the expulsion of the Medici in November of 1494. While Piero found refuge at Venice and Urbino, Giovanni traveled to Germany, in the Netherlands, and in France. He then returned to Rome, and he was received with uh, cordiality by Pope Alexander VI, and he lived in Rome for a number of years, uh, immersing himself in art and literature. He then welcomed the uh, ascension of Pope Julius II in 1503. And this was the warrior pope who, um, if I'm remembering correctly, um, set up the Swiss Guard. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And he also was a, he just stayed in his armor. Like yeah. most popes were, you know, their robes or whatever. But he was just like, no, I'm going to be in my armor. And it was like, that was pretty cool. Like, yeah. very unique at the time. Yep. Um, and then... He was appointed to the papal legate of Bologna and Romagna, and when the Florentine Republic declared in favor of the schematics, schematics Pisans, uh, Julius II sent Giovanni with the papal army venturing into uh, venturing against the French. The French won a major battle and captured Giovanni. Um, so after he was captured, uh, he was stuck there until a bloodless revolution permitted the return of the Medici. Uh, his younger brother, Guglielmo was placed at the head of the Republic, and Giovanni uh, continued to manage the government in his stead. So it was sort of like a, a title, but no power for his younger brother. So then he was finally elected Pope uh, in 1513, you know, spent his teen years being like, why am I not Pope yet? But then in his 20s, Finally Pope. Finallypope.com. <laughs> I love it. Finallypope.com. Yes. And so he was elected Pope in 1513. Uh, the absence of the French cardinals reduced the election to a contest between Giovanni and Riario. And um, he was the non-last priest to be elected Pope, uh, which... How often was that happening? I don't know. We don't have a count. Wikipedia, why don't you have a count? <laughs> um, anyway, so then we get into the War of Urbino. So Leo had intended for his younger brother, Giuliano, and his nephew, Lorenzo, for brilliant secular careers. He named them Roman patricians. He put one of them in charge of Florence. The former, um, so Giuliano, he intended to carve a kingdom out for him, but Giuliano died in 1516, which caused the Pope to transfer his ambitions to Lorenzo. So during this time, there was a peace between France, Spain, Venice, and the Empire. The Empire of where? I don't know. Uh, but it seemed to give some promise of a Christendom united against the Turks. And Leo at this time obtained 150,000 ducats 
towards the expenses of an expedition from Henry VIII of England, in return for which he entered the Imperial League of Spain and England against France, which is quite the pincer. Papal Rome and Italy, Spain, England. You can't see this, listeners, but I'm motioning my hands in the air against France. <laughs> yeah, France pretty much got the short end of the stick during this time, like quite I mean, a bit. Yeah, I mean they're also dicks. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to fit. Also, it was just one of those like, oh yeah, by the way, like also, France kept getting everyone else's dicks. Oh yeah, they're all sure. just dicks. Yeah. <laughs> so this war lasted from February to September of 1517, and ended with the expulsion of the Duke and the triumph of Lorenzo, but it revived a policy of Alexander VI, which increased brigandage and anarchy in the Papal States, and hindered the preparations for crusade and wrecked the Papal finances. So there is an estimate of the cost of this war at 800,000 ducats, which is an immense sum. Yeah, because, like, during this time, or, like, at least in the book, like, 100,000 ducats, even 25,000 ducats was, like, that's a, a fuck ton. of money. And yeah. just being like, yeah, it's 800,000. So, at this point, Lorenzo is confirmed as the new Duke of Urbino, which, if we remember correctly, I think Urbino is where um, Priganano, uh Pope Urban, is trying to put, was it Urbino or was it Florence? I can't remember. We just recorded it. it. I don't recall. I blame you, Victory. <laughs> um, so the War of Urbino was further marked by a crisis in relations between Pope and Cardinals. The college had grown very worldly and troublesome since the time of Sixtus the Fourth. Sixtus the Fourth. Why can't all Sixtuses be the Sixth? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Leo took advantage of a plot by several of his members to poison him, not only to inflict exemplary punishments by executing one, Alfonso Petrucci, but imprisoning several others and making radical changes to the college. Uh, he named 31 new cardinals in 1517, and uh, a number of these were prominent Roman families. Um, though many of them were not otherwise uh, in the church. So it was they basically bought their positions. Um, at this time as well, uh, Leo felt the need to stop the advances of the Ottoman Sultan, Selim I, who was threatening Western Europe, and began plans for a, an elaborate crusade. A truce was proclaimed throughout Christendom. The Pope was the arbiter of disputes, and England, Spain, and Portugal were to furnish fleets, France to lead the army, and the combined forces were to be directed against Constantinople. This all swiftly fell apart. Uh, Cardinal Wolseley made England, not the Pope, the arbiter between France and the Empire, and much of the money collected for the crusade for tithes and indulgences were spent in other ways. Uh, Hungary, who was on the forefront of this war with Selim, because Selim had come in through Greece and what we now know as um, Yugoslavia and those various countries who I have a hard time naming off the top of my head. Uh, sorry to those countries if any of our listeners are there. Uh, feel free to add us at our non-existent Twitter. Um, uh, 
He conducted a three-year truce with Selim I, uh, but the succeeding sultan, Suleiman the Magnificent, renewed the war in 1521 and captured the citadel of Belgrade. So the pope was greatly alarmed, um, and though he was at war with France, he sent 30,000 ducats to the Hungarians. Leo treated with the East Catholic Greeks um, and forbade in 1521 Latin clergy to celebrate mass in Greek churches and Latin bishops to ordain Greek clergy. Uh, these provisions were later strengthened by Clem Clement VII and Paul III and went far to settle the constant disputes between the Latins and Unite Greeks. Uh, Leo was also pope during the time of Martin Luther. And so Leo, in all of his battles for land and for positions of power, was uh, constantly looking for money. And while he had the treasury of Julius II to lean on for the first few years, he quickly ran out of that. And despite the immense amounts of money coming into the papacy, he burned through that. And he burned through many, many loans from various banks. And so what did he do? Well, he's like, hmm, indulgences. Indulgences can be purchased. And so he allowed a monk in Germany to begin collecting these from the German population. Well, this monk then spread it to a couple other monks, and they're all sending money into uh, Leo. And I, I believe, if I remember correctly from the book, that there's actually a banker or a series of bankers who would go along with these popes to make sure that the banks were getting half of the indulgences that were collected by these monks. And so Martin Luther was like, this, along with a number of other things that the church is doing, is bullshit. Now, um, can I name all 95 uh, theses that Martin Luther wrote? No. Can I name one of the theses that Martin Luther wrote? No. Am I a Lutheran? No. So, uh, that homework was for another time, probably prior to now, but we didn't do it. I certainly did. I, no, I just remember Lutherism. I just remember, like, well, sorry, remember, I mean, like, I recall it. And I was there. Yeah, I was there when they're like, yeah, so this thing happened. I'm like, yeah, so a bunch more rich people did other stuff. Cool, cool. I mean, he wasn't rich, but it was just one of those, like, yeah, this guy showed up and he was like, yeah, you guys fucked up. And people got scared. Yeah. Well, so the the Pope, uh, Leo, had lived through other upstart monks and preachers of various forms. And prior popes had, had similar issues with various, like, uh, accusations against them and their power. So he wasn't too scared in, in particular to Luther. But uh, what Luther and also... Uh, the whole, like, nailing things to the church door isn't as big of a deal as a lot of people give it credence, uh, simply because that was a very common place for people to congregate. And many things were nailed to the door because people congregated there. So it wasn't, like, a huge deal as far as, like, nailing it to the door. It was more so the accusations themselves were considered to be um, sanctimonious in some ways. So Luther then enters a back and forth with Leo, sending letters and Leo responding to letters. Uh, not all of these directly reaching Leo, but more so hitting his 
uh, inferiors who then provide a summary. And Leo's like, hmm, uh, here's how we're going to respond to that. So a series of papal bulls come out uh, in 1520. We get, Arise, O Lord, condemning 41 propositions extracted from Luther's teachings. In 1521, we get, It pleases the Roman pontiff, um, which excommunicates Luther. In a brief, the Pope also directed Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, to take energetic measures against heresy. It was under Leo that Lutherism spread to Scandinavia. Um, he, the Pope, had repeatedly used the rich northern benefices to reward members of the Roman Curia. And uh, basically Scandinavia was done with that shit. So King Christian II took advantage of the growing dissatisfaction of the native clergy towards the papal government and the Archimboldi's interference in the Swedish revolt to expel the nuncio and summon Lutheran theolo theologians to Copenhagen in 1520. Christian approved a plan by which the formal state church should be established in Denmark, all appeals to Rome should be abolished, and the king and diet should have final jurisdiction in ex ecclesiastical causes. I blame you, Victory. Um, Leo sent a new nuncio to Copenhagen in 1521 in the person of the Minorite Francesco de Potencia, who readily absolved the king and received the bishopric of Skara. The pope, or his legate, however, took no steps to correct abuses or otherwise discipline the Scandinavian churches. Around this time, uh, the pope created 42 new cardinals in eight consistories, uh, including two cousins. One will become his successor, Pope Clement VII. Uh, he elevated uh, some other dude to a cardinalate, um, I would name the person, but I don't think they ever come up again. Uh, Pope Leo X canonized 11 individuals during his reign, seven of those being a group cause of martyrs. Um, the Oh, going back to the naming of cardinals, the next time that that many cardinals were named was under Pope John Paul II uh, with 42 cardinals in 2001. So... There's about 500 years yeah. in between that. So, final years. Leo, uh, he didn't do any much more to check the anti-papal rebellion in Germany and Scandinavia. And that's partially explained by the political complications of the time and his own preoccupation with papal and Medician politics in Italy. The death of the Emperor Maximilian in 1519 had affected the situation seriously. Leo vacillated between the powerful candidates for the succession um, and first appeared to favor Francis or a minor German prince, but he finally accepted Charles of Spain as the inevitable. And then in 1521, uh, Leo finally united um, an alliance between himself and the emperor, and it was signed there in Rome that year. Uh, Milan and Genoa were taken from France and restored, restored to the empire. Parma and Piacenza were given to the church on the expulsion of the French. The expense of enlisting 10,000 Swiss was to be borne equally by Pope and Emperor. Uh, Charles V took Florence and the Medici family under his protection and promised to punish, punish all empire, all enemies of the Catholic faith. I am waning. It's okay. You're almost done. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. 
Leo agreed to invest Charles V with the Kingdom of Naples. You ever just invest a city in someone? Just You're just like that much mm, power. Be like, uh, yeah, you get the city, I guess. Um. So we're we're almost through his death, but then I have four more pages oh of my stuff. Goodness. Mm, five more pages of stuff. So anyway, a bunch of stuff with France and Charles, and then um, he dies from bronco pneumonia, uh, which I'm surprised they were able to diagnose that 500 years in the past. So good on us. Yeah, I mean, then again, in the past, they figured out what cancer was technically. So, you know. Yep. Um, so, but he died so suddenly in 1521 that last sacraments cannot be administered. And so Leo um, really loved theater, music, arts, poetry. He loved Latin verses. He was known for uh, keeping uh, pretty much anyone who could write uh, clever limericks in Latin in his um, his his papal uh, audience. Uh, that's probably not the right word for it, but what have you. He's also known to have said, let us enjoy the papacy since God has given it to us. So he he gave away a lot of gifts, as I mentioned at the beginning. He threw huge parties. I think it, I don't think it was under him. I think it was Caesar under the Borgias that was shooting arrows at people in the courtyard. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he yeah. had a weird bloodlust thing. And he was like, okay. Yeah. You ever just have a weird bloodlust thing? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you have a weird bloodlust thing, hit us up at our non-existent Twitter. <laughs> um, Leo was known uh, to be pleasure-loving, but on the other hand, he prayed, fasted, went to confession before celebrating Mass in public, conscientiously participated in the religious services of the Church. Uh, he had virtues of liberality, charity, and clemency. Uh, he also added to these the Machiavellian qualities of deception and shrewdness. He was uh, said to be uh, plagued by lurid aspirations of debauchery, murder, impiety, and atheism. In the 17th century, it was estimated 300 to 400 writers more or less reported a story that when someone had quoted to Leo a passage from one of the four evangelists, he had replied that it was common knowledge, quote, how profitable that fable of Christ hath been to us in our company. End oh quote. My. Oh my. Oh my. Oh my. Oh my. So, um, Leo loved the arts. Leo had an elephant. <laughs> How those two sentences go together, uh, not quite sure, but he did have an elephant. And uh, he also enjoyed Jess fowling, hunting boar, and other wild beasts. And he was, according to one biographer, engrossed in idle and selfish amusements. Uh, he indulged in buffoonery at the court. Um, one time, he had uh, Baraballo dressed in festive robes of velvet and silk, trimmed with ermine, and presented to the Pope. Uh, Baraballo was then taken to the piazza of St. Peter's and was mounted on the back of his elephant, Hanno. Uh, which was a gift of Manuel I of Portugal. Why is a Portuguese king he, giving away elephants? Because he got an elephant from somewhere, and he was like, I need to get rid of this shit, if you think about it. Yeah, fair. Okay. Okay. 
I'd give away an elephant if yeah, I was you're cursed like, with an elephant. Yeah, you're just like, fuck, I have this elephant. I need it. Like, I need to get rid of this right now. Uh, who who became, what happened? Someone became Pope, give him the fucking elephant. Yep. Congrats. Here's an elephant. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, the magnificently ornamented animal was then led off in the direction of the capital to the sounds of drums and trumpets. But while crossing the bridge of St. Angelo over the Tiber, the elephant, already distressed by the noise and confusion around him, shied violently, throwing his passenger onto the muddy riverbanks below. Quite, quite the japes. Quite the buffoonery. Quite the buffoonery of getting people to fall off mm-hmm. like 10... I, it could be 20, 20 30. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Um, so Leo also has a whole section on his sexuality. Um, it's implied that Leo was uh, not chaste and may have uh, been homosexual in proclivity. Um, Zimmerman notes Giovo's Disapproval of the Pope's familiar banter with his chamberlains, handsome young men from noble families, and the advantage he was said to take of them. Oh my. Oh my. Luther spent a month in Rome in 1510, three years before Leo became pontiff and was disillusioned at the corruption he found there. He later said that Leo had vetoed a measure that cardinals should restrict the number of boys they kept for their pleasure. Quote, Otherwise, it would have been spread throughout the world how openly and shamelessly the Pope and the Cardinals in Rome practiced sodomy, end quote. Oh, boy. I just shook my head. No, no, no. no. I mean, it's fine for the Pope and Cardinals to practice consensual sodomy, well, yes. but the power dynamics there... Yeah, is pretty fucked. So. Pretty fucked. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, Popes be fucking... Um, that is, okay, so that's the takeaway from this Popes be murdering, Popes be fucking. Yeah, that's the two things. Also, Popes be trying to put their nephews, cousins, wherever, into power somewhere. Popes be simonying. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but it was also noted that, uh, Leo X made charitable donations of more than 6,000 ducats annually to retirement homes, hospitals, convents, discharged soldiers, pilgrims, poor students, exiles, cripples, and the sick and unfortunate. Though... In scale, not a lot. Yeah, 6,000 ducats for, like, all of that. All of that. Is pittance. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, he, uh, there's more pages, but I'm basically done. Hooray! Hooray! Oh, my goodness. All right, so to cap this all off, we get into the big, the bad, Cle- Pope Clement the Seventh. Uh, I almost said eighth again. Um... Eighth, ninth. No, whatever. So anyway, this is essentially uh, Giulio de Giuliano de Medici. Uh, so this is the cousin? Yeah. Yeah, the cousin. Yeah. So uh, they call him the most unfortunate of the popes because there's a bunch of shit going on. Yeah. Like pretty much just before he gets there. Yeah. This is like slightly post-Reformation. Yeah. So essentially has, it's the end of the Italian Renaissance um, and... There and he comes in as a statesman, but there's so there's this end of the Italian Renaissance. There's a Protestant Reformation. Uh, the church is nearing bankruptcy because his predecessor was just spending fuck tons of money and borrowing and borrowing so, much, so money. much money. So like when he died, a bunch of those bankers didn't get money. Like they didn't and they were get like, fuck. yeah. Uh, that was before they were like, wait a minute, we should do it to the kin too. Um, if someone dies, should just they should inherit the. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> the dead. Next in line for the Pope. Yeah. Um, 
So the Protestant Reformation, he also had the problem of King Henry VIII just wanting to fuck and get a kid. Um, so to start off with, uh, it starts off like kind of like, I almost said Batman, but not really. Essentially, his family doesn't know who the mom is. They just were like, yeah, um, someone, his dad gets murdered. His bat Batman's the mom. Yeah, Batman's the mom. So his dad gets murdered, and apparently they went to try to find... They're like, wait, there's a rumor that he had a kid by someone else that was totally not his wife. So mm. they went around trying to find it, find her. And then she made no qualms of, like... She she was like, hey, uh, by the way, I'm the one who slept with him, by the way. Yep. So um, found her. They're like, neat. So, um, you know, Giuliano, Giulio just went into the clergy, but he, because of his uh, illegitimacy, he couldn't be a high-ranking person. Um, so the point is, Lorenzo uh, helped him carve out a career as a soldier. He goes and becomes a knight, and he studies canon law, um, and then uh, essentially he eventually kind of comes back to the clergy um, and becomes, uh, you know, so he, he kind of comes back to being like a cardinal, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, like, debate about... There's also some uh, other son that he has that they're not sure about who's the legitimate, like, uh, if he slept with, like, a servant or not, and if it's, like, his kid. There's a bunch of other shit like that that's, like, mentioned kind of offhand. Really not a big deal. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, he fucked and probably has a kid. Just think how less complicated history would be with condoms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or any type of birth control. Yeah. Uh, so... Eventually, under Pope Leo X, his, uh, you know, his uh, other, I almost said uncle, but his other cousin, uh, pretty much he kind of was like, um, he, he, Pope Leo X kind of put him in a pretty favorable spot, uh-huh. and um, he kind of uh, started having a role with uh, King Henry VIII, and um, pretty appointed him Cardinal Protector of England. Which is interesting. For an Italian bastard. Yeah. Cardinal protector of England. Yeah. So, um, pretty much, he was pretty independent, and he had pretty much, like, a lot of, uh, uh, kind of, like, respect. But the funny part was, like, he was also another, like, kind of, um, he was become the archbishop of a king of France. And then they recognized, wait a minute, this is kind of a, Kind of a... Um, I'm protector of England, but Archbishop of France. Yeah, there was um, conflict of interest with doing that, so... Um, and he didn't want to resign. They just needed the channel, then he could go back and forth. So, whole point is Medici family were trying to just put their folks in the best possible spot mm-hmm. ever, which is, as we mentioned earlier, Pope Leo X kind of had to fu- like fucking manage that after a point because everything was just burning down around him. Mm-hmm. Um... So, have you ever seen that uh, um, video of the guy just like spinning like ten plates all at once? That is Leo the Ten. Yeah, just put the plate back up. Yeah, keep spinning. Um, so you know he was a cardinal. He did a bunch of shit. Pretty much was pretty cool. Uh, he also helped, uh, you know, with the works of art with mm-hmm. Raphael mm-hmm. and Michelangelo, mm-hmm. Shredder, yada yada. Mm-hmm. Um. So eventually he uh, gets elected. Uh, pretty much he became, as they say, Papabile in their protracted conclave. Um, he was. The reason why he got elected was because he was considered worldly 
and indifferent to the perceived dangers of the Protestant Reformation. So there was like, okay, well, you kind of know what's up and you're not going to fall to this Luther shit. So it's all good. Just get on up there. Nobody else wants to deal with this shit. Yeah. Um, there was also this Italian war was going on. So he sent some archbishops to the uh, France, Spain, and England to just kind of wrap that shit up. Um, and the Turks were also kind of coming in too. So there's like a, all this shit going on as is happening. Um, so uh, King of France con- uh, conquers Milan in 1524. And then um, pretty much had the po- he had to kind of quit the imperial Spanish side and to ally himself with the other Italian princes and in France. Because at that point... France was, like, kind of coming in, and he can't try to play both sides at this point. He needed to just pick a side. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a treaty. Uh, the This means that there's acquisition of Parma, uh, Piazzinza, for the Papal State. So he gets, like, he gets something out of this. And then this allows the... This also treaty says that anybody from France can come through the other land, but owned by the Medici, Medici family, so that they can go to Naples. Because Naples is fucking really important in this goddamn place. All right. So then uh, a bunch of other, you know, the Pope trying to play both sides kind of bites him in the ass some more. Um, There's a rise of the Imperial Party inside the Curia. Um, uh, Cardinal Pope Pompeo Colonna, once again, these fuckers, fucking guys, the the soldiers pillaging Team Orsini all the way. (laughs) Uh, so the, this cardinal, he um, gets some soldiers. They pillage the Vatican Hill and gain control of the whole, un- gain, and gain control of the whole of Rome in his name. So Pope's pissed because he literally just lost like Rome from this upstart cardinal, and it's just like holy shit. Um, a bunch of other people kind of started like picking pieces apart, like oh, well, like if he can like take over Rome, Rome. then like, I can start yeah. doing other shit. Yeah. Like, um, all these papal states are essentially up for sale at that point. Yeah, so essentially, as this kind of started going on, other people took advantage of the other Medici family and started taking uh, their family, like, pieces of the family mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. estates away. Um, so, English Reformation. So this is where Henry VIII was I'm like, hey, Henry by the way... Henry Yeah. King Henry VIII was like, hey, uh, didn't have a... My son died... And so that means that um, God hates me. And so I need to figure out how to fucking get this shit fixed. Okay, God hates mm. me. I mean, God hates the marriage, obviously. It's the mm-hmm. woman's fault. Mm-hmm. So he decided to marry his brother's, wait, um, Anne Boleyn. And so he tried to be like, hey, by the way, I can do this because, um, like, she- their, the marriage that she's in doesn't matter. Like, it can be an old... They didn't have a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, the Pope, or the Cardinal, or sorry, the Archbishop that was there was more psyched to Catherine. So, like, he... The the Archbishop there was like, yeah, you should not do this. Eventually, um, uh, he kind of, like, that bishop gets out of there, and then he gets another bishop. Um, also, the thing is... Uh, he like the Pope. He was trying to pressure the Pope. Uh, Henry was to like annul the marriage because it says it's not valid. Mm. Um, under some wishy-washy dumb shit, and there was some precedent from what prior popes had done for Lucrezia. Yeah, 
but yeah. Yeah, and also Catherine's nephew was a whole was the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. So it's kind of <laughs> like, well, you know, you can try, but uh. so um, good luck. So the Archbishop that was uh, favorable to Catherine actually died. Mm-hmm. So then Anne Boleyn got another cat like bishop that was well not Anne Boleyn herself, but like they found a bishop that was more uh, sympathetic mm-hmm. to this and. Um, was like, yeah, this an older marriage is all good. Do you know that TV show Trading Places? Yeah. Okay. I want to see a version set in this time with these characters called Trading Popes. Oh, that would be great. So, um, the Pope was like, uh, what the fuck? And decided to excommunicate both Henry and the uh, other archbishop. But, I mean, it's a fucking king. And he's like, yeah, we're just going to fuck off and we're making the Church of England. Yep. So... Um, pretty much, I know I, like... With blackjack and hookers. With blackjack and hookers. So I kind of really skimmed through that part Excuse because me. it's very... Sex workers. Sex workers. Yes, blackjack and sex workers. Um, I know I skimmed through that part, but, like, pretty much a lot of... This Pope actually has probably more other pieces of Wikipedia or other books to explain kind of what, what like, is what going happened. on. Because he essentially just like up like he had like five things yeah. going on. He he like walked in and everyone's like, You Yeah. Do this. Yep. So um so he died uh pretty much in he was trying to like do a French alliance. He was happier and, for it. Yeah and um, he was trying to ally the, his house of Medici with the French royal family and, like, trying to marry people off, but it just kind of went to shit. Um, he had four new cardinals, and he eventually dies um, just kind of, like, from just being ill, like, natural causes, like, being around 56, you know? So... Yep. Yep. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's the end of... Bad popes. Bad popes. I said last popes. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Congrats if you made it this far. Um, I know this was a long one. Yeah. This is... This is almost uh, people's history length. Yeah, this is almost people's history length for a book that was (laughs) way shorter. Yeah. Yeah, people's history was like 800 pages. This is 280 pages. Yeah. It's just... It's so many people... It's so many places. It's so many things. Like, it's just... Each sentence in itself is pretty heavily important. Yeah. Um, so, who do you think was the worst pope? All of them. Okay, fair. I can't argue with that. But in particular, the one that shot at people out of the window... I thought we thought... That, that was, was Borgia and his... Oh, uh kid, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Borgia was pretty bad because he was, like, very blatant about just putting people in power mm-hmm. and just did not care for anybody else. Now, the worst pope at being pope was definitely Urban. Yes. Because he, he was just like, mm, all of you cardinals, fucking sinners. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Yeah. Oh, Naples? Fuck you. Oh, Genoa? Mm, let's go there. Mm, cardinals? Fuck you. Yeah, but then again, um, Pope uh, Boniface did just want to stop, like, salt the. Uh, he did town. salt the and, earth. Yeah, and then he yeah, was after lying Italian to them, town. Yeah, he's just like, oh yeah, you guys are cool. It's cool. It's cool, guys. Don't worry about it. I forgive you. I'm, I'm very. How did we know, not mention that during his section? I kind of did, but I, I kind of forgot about it, and then like, oh right, he did do this really horrible thing. <laughs> yup. 
Yep. Oh, and also all the rape. Yeah. There so was much so rape. Much. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Like it was kind of like, uh, yep, the murder and the rape is like, oh right, yeah, they all kind of just let people do whatever. Um, and did themselves whatever. Yeah. So yeah. TLDR. Uh, uh, don't dis- be a pope. Don't be a pope. Disband your local religion. Um, don't join a cult. Don't join a cult. Um, I guess that didn't come out. Don't join a pope and don't don't join a cult. Yeah. And don't join a cope. Yeah. Uh, right. So our next book is going to be on Palestine by Noam Chomsky. Yep. And, and another the, guy. And another some other guy who's probably like, yeah, I'm glad that I got to write with Noam yeah. Chomsky. Um, next episode, we'll have more books after our, um, you know, uh, final six basketball. Yeah, head to head. Head to head. Um, hopefully they'll be less dense, but we'll see as we're, <sighs> as we're jerks to you guys. Uh, I am nominating Godel, Escher, and Bach for oh, one of boy. these six. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So, uh, remember? <laughs> Holy shit, we're going to cut this out. All right. Remember, books are good, actually.